Welcome to Harvest Beyond Sunday, a podcast that seeks to equip and inform the members of Harvest Church. Uh, my name is Steve Winstead. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest, and I'm really excited today to have a, a friend of mine uh, join us. Uh, one of the great joys that we have at Harvest is uh, we're a church that gets a partner with a lot of really amazing, godly men and women who are serving among the peoples of the world. And today we're joined uh, with, uh, uh, joining us today is Brian Parks. Brian ha- is a Memphis native originally, uh, went here and graduated from high school here, but hasn't lived here in a, a little bit of time. But for the past 17 years, he has lived in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. So I wanted Brian just to be able to share a little bit of his story and how he ended up in Dubai, and what that 17 years has looked like, because there's a lot happening. And currently, Brian is the lead pastor of Covenant Hope Church in Dubai. We actually sent one of our members over there to serve with him, and are so thankful that he was uh, welcoming of us, sending a member to serve alongside him there in the ministry. So, uh, Brian, good to have you here. Uh, It's great to be here, Steve. Thanks. Yeah, and Brian, uh, tell us a little bit just about your, your journey in ministry. I know that uh, you worked campus ministry here in the States before you uh, became a, a, a missionary, so to say. I did. In fact, um, really became a Christian here through uh, high school ministry, young life during my high school days, went off to university. And that's where I really uh, grew in my faith. A lot of discipleship through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship was the group I was a part of. And it was really through InterVarsity and on campus that I began to gain a heart for the world and understand that God had a plan for the gospel to be spread throughout the entire earth for for all nations, all peoples to hear the gospel uh, so that more glory would be given to God. Uh, and that, it was during those university days that I learned about that and, and at really at a big missions convention called Urbana. Some people might know of Urbana Missions Convention. 1984, uh, you know, I, we were challenged to give our lives to missions if God would call us to that. And uh, the woman who was with me, who would eventually be my wife, Joanne, uh, we both said to the Lord, we'll kind of give him a blank check. Okay, Lord, if you want us to go somewhere, of course, you know, we, did, we didn't have a specific place to go. No one was asking us to go any, into a particular place. And so we just moved on from that, although missions continue to be a part of our life, especially missions reaching uh, uh, folks who are from other countries who are on our college campus. So that's really kind of where we cut our teeth, so to speak, about reaching out to people from other cultures, trying to learn how to share the gospel cross-culturally. And then, as you mentioned, I, I ended up, after a brief stint as working as an engineer, I went to work for InterVarsity in Kentucky. and In the promised land there. Yeah, Kentucky. the promised land, the bluegrass. Yeah, oh, man, yeah. it's a beautiful place. But you uh, you graduated high school from White Station, so yeah. some of our listeners may be familiar with White yeah, Station. absolutely. And then you went to the University of Tennessee. That's right, in Knoxville. And then, by God's good grace, you got to go and that's right. serve in ministry at the University of Kentucky first, right? That's right, that's right. So we were doing ministry, myself and uh, some other partners in InterVarsity on staff, uh, reaching college students first at University of Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky University, Transylvania, and Berea, and and beyond as well. And those were wonderful years. This was during the 90s, and continued to work as a staff worker then within a varsity with 
international students. So I began starting international student chapters on campus where international students in particular who had trouble integrating into the normal kind of American Christian fellowship groups on the campus would gather together. We took students overseas. So I continued to be involved in reaching people who are from other countries with the gospel. And then in the early uh, 2000s, right around 2000, 2001, uh, the man who I was working with, partnering with, a man named Max Stiles, who's written a number of books about evangelism and and going overseas, uh, he came to me and said, Brian, I've been asked to go pioneer student ministry on the Arabian Peninsula. Do you want to go? Now, now Brian was, um, at this point, was living overseas, serving as a missionary. Was that something you all had on your radar or something you all felt like being drawn to or interest in at all? You know, no, really. I mean, of course, that I still felt like that blank check to God was on the table, so to speak. But ministry was going great in Kentucky. We had started a new church that we where we were seeing uh, lots of people become Christians in Lexington. Uh, it was growing by leaps and bounds. My kids were, you know, settled into school. We things were going really well, and it's times like that when you think, could could God really be calling me out of a place that seems like it's good, that where everything's going really great? Uh, and after a lot of praying and talking with my wife and soul searching, we decided, yes, the Lord was calling us out of this place. And, you know, if you've made big decisions in your life where you go to the Lord and ask, Lord, I need to know the answer. Should I do this or should I do this? You know that those times are key times when God wants to perhaps even teach you about something else in your life going on that you need to get straight or Maybe there's a sin issue that has nothing to do with the decision that you want an answer to, but because you go to the Lord and you lay open yourself to him and say, you know, okay, Lord, I need some help in this area, but please teach me about anything. Well, that kind of happened in our marriage and in our life, and we learned a lot during that period of time, but in the end, we decided to go. Yeah, and I I love hearing your story. You know, people end up on the mission field, living overseas, serving overseas, in a lot of different ways, but it seems like most of it typically starts with a person having a, a desire and a burden put on their heart by the Lord to go overseas, whereas it seems like you had a heart for internationals, but moving overseas wasn't as much on your radar, and you were invited in to be a part of that. Yeah. As you were invited in, you said that you had to wrestle with a lot of things, but tell me how that went as a, you know, you had wife, you're married, you've got uh, daughters, and how did that process go of determining, um, you know, what's this going to look like if we go? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, um, <laughs> well, when my ministry partner came to me and said, you want to go pioneer student ministry in the, uh, on the Arabian Peninsula? I said, yeah, that sounds like great fun. That's not the way my wife responded. She said, <laughs> heck no. <laughs> so all of a sudden we were thrown into this situation where, you know, we were at odds and how do you make a decision? How, do, how does a husband and wife make that kind of decision? And, and to be honest with you, I really wanted, I wanted a 50-50 decision. I wanted her to own the decision. Um, and I wanted her to take responsibility for the decision. But I, one thing that I felt like the Lord was teaching me during that season was about 
my role of leadership in the family and what that looked like. And eventually, after much prayer and consideration, my wife came to me and said, you know, I feel like because of your response to the Lord in some other areas of your life right now, I feel like he's telling me I need to trust you with this decision for our family. And um, I tell you what, you, I want you to make the decision because I feel like he wants you to make it for us. And I will go with you if you, if you decide that we're going to go. I will go happily. And, and I'm all in because I'm trusting the Lord more than I'm trusting you. I'm trusting that he's going to work through you and your leadership in our marriage. And so that was big. I mean, boy. And so you're moving over there, uh, 2002. This is uh, right after 9-11's happening. Yeah, right. uh, it's happened. You're moving to the uh, Middle East, to a country, uh, United Arab Emirates. And a lot of people may not know a lot about the Emirates, but tell us a little bit about just sort of the the a little bit of the culture and the, yeah. the demographics of, of the United Arab Emirates, and in particular the, the city in which you live, which is a uh, fairly well-known city, Dubai. Yeah. We moved to Dubai because Dubai is very, uh, compared to many of the other cities on the Arabian Peninsula, that society, that country, and that city are quite open. They're one of the most open, and there's quite a bit of freedom there, quite a bit. And so we decided to land there. And Dubai is a fascinating place. It's There are seven emirates. They're like city, city county areas, uh, seven of them that make up the United Arab Emirates. This country was formed in 1971, so it's a new country, not very old. Each emirate is ruled by a king, essentially, a ruler, a sheikh, and um, it's ruled by a family. So, uh, and Dubai's ruled by the Maktoum family. Uh, Abu Dhabi, the capital emirates, ruled by the Al Nayan family. When the king, when the ruler steps down or dies, the crown prince will step into that role. And so it's an Arab culture. It's an Arab country. Arabic is the official language. Islam is the official religion. But it is an incredibly diverse place. So uh, the Arabs of the United Arab Emirates struck oil back in the 50s or 60s and didn't have the the people, even just their own people, their citizens, to develop the country. So lots of people are brought in from all over the world, Brits, Indians, Filipinos, Africans of every different country you could think of. Yeah, because pretty much when the country started, it was um, these Bedouin sheiks that oh, lived yeah. out in the middle of the desert. Yeah, and that's there right. And there wasn't uh, any modernization there. And now when you go there, it's one of the most... Uh, modernized yeah. countries you see on the face of the earth. Yeah, it's incredible. So the citizens of the country now only make up 10% of the population. Which is fascinating to think about a country where yeah. that's the case. A, a country of about 9 million people and 10%, so you're talking 900,000 people uh, are the citizens, and everyone else is from a different country. And they're there because they have a job or they're a family member of someone who has a job there in the country. So for those people that move there, a lot of them, English becomes the common language to operate there. So English you can get around with pretty well. Yeah. Where, where are a lot of these uh, people moving there from and what's, the, what's a lot of the predominant nations? Well, the, the, the largest single 
uh, nationality that's represented in the country are Indians. Um, so India is just, uh, you know, a short flight away, and uh, lots of Indians have immigrated over and have filtered into really every kind of level of the economic strata in, in the society, from construction workers all the way up to extremely wealthy businessmen uh, and, and everything in between. And so because they're Indian, if you know anything about India, India is a Hindu country uh, where Hinduism is the predominant religion. And so there's many, many Hindus in the United Arab Emirates, which is fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. I know there's a lot of people from Africa, the oh, yeah. Philippines. Yes. Uh, just it's, it's really a true cultural melting pot there uh, in the Arabian Peninsula. Now, when you moved there, you were going, you said, to start a campus ministry. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit. I mean, you're coming in, starting this from scratch. Yeah. So yeah. what did that look like? Yeah. In fact, I was, you know, I'd left Kentucky. I was supervising the ministry team for the entire state. And we arrive in Dubai and I kind of realize, oh, wow, I'm going to be hanging out with 17, 18 year olds again <laughs> to start this student ministry. But by God's grace, he, um, he, he, you know, equipped us to do that and gave us energy and passion for that. And, and so we, uh, we started a company. Uh, to build supercomputers, and we uh, actually went to market those supercomputers. We were setting out to to set up, you know, to have a company be actually self-sustaining financially. Um, but that was one way that we would get onto the campuses because most of the campuses were guarded and gated, and um, and we networked within the Christian community in the UAE. There was a you know Christian expats who are there from. England, from Philippines, from African countries, and um, and just ask questions. You know, do you know any students, any Christian student, or student that would just think they're a Christian, even may not be really born again, but would consider themselves a Christian, a nominal Christian, on any of these campuses? So all we needed was kind of one student who we could sit down with in the cafeteria and get to know, and begin to open up the Bible read the Gospels with them, find out if they did know Jesus truly, if they'd given their lives to him. And then, of course, their friends walked by them uh, in the food court, and uh, they didn't know enough to introduce their friends necessarily to us, but we introduce ourselves. And so pretty soon we're gathering students, we're leading inductive Bible discussions to investigate who is Jesus, and they're from all different backgrounds. So some of them are nominal Christians, some of them are Muslim who are interested to investigate uh, Jesus. Some of them are Hindu. Uh, and so that began to snowball, really. Just incredible things began to happen on campuses. Again, kind of, it was um, not very splashy, I would say. Not like your traditional campus ministry. We couldn't hang posters on campus. We couldn't set up orientation tables to take names. Um, but it's just meeting students, meet one student here, meet their friends, gather them together, find an empty classroom, open up the Bible together. Yeah, so, and students started becoming Christians. Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing thing to see how the Lord just really 
had the groundwork set for y'all to be able to come in there to get in because the, the campus is there. You know, we think of university campuses here in the states as wide open, yeah. lots of land. The campuses there are very uh, gated, almost more like an industrial section of town. And there's different campuses that schools that focus on different things, and they come from different right. parts so, of the world. So there's branch campus universities from all over the world there. There's branch campuses from in, of Indian schools, branch campuses of Australian schools, Scottish schools, um, you name it, they're there. And the demographics are different on each campus. Some campuses are predominantly Arab. Some campuses are predominantly Indian. Um, so it's just really, really, really diverse and much different than in the U.S. And You've been a part of really pretty instrumental part in three different churches. I know when you got there, there was a church that um, you were there while they transitioned to a pastor that even led the church into greater health. I know you're a el- founding elder of a, another church, and now you're the yeah. uh, founding pastor of the a church you currently lead, Covenant Hope. So tell us a little bit just about the the church and in uh, the Emirates, and in particular the churches that you've been a part of? Well, when we first got there, of course we plugged in to a church. We knew we needed to be a part of a church. Um, we uh, started going to United Christian Church of Dubai, which is kind of the main, the primary English-speaking international church there. It was, it was a sweet church, lots of sweet people in it, but it was a weak church. Um, weak preaching, um, not a lot of helpful structure in the church. And we knew all of a sudden, you know, we, we realized, look, the student ministry is going to suffer. Where are we going to take students to go to be fed the Word of God? Yes, we can disciple them on campus, but they're not going to be students forever. They need to be a part of the local church. And and really kind of our, we began to realize as well and recognize that, listen, okay, we're we're doing parachurch ministry, and the parachurch needs to serve the church. Mm-hmm. So we want our student ministry to serve the church, but the church has got to be able to stand on its own too. So we began to investigate about what makes a healthy church. And our ideas had changed from what they were in the past, to be honest with you, from back in those days in Kentucky. And we began to commit time to the local church in addition to the student ministry to try to help it grow stronger. So we filtered into some leadership positions and kind of put some elbow grease into it, so to speak, ministry in the church, Uh, saw a new pastor be brought in who began preaching expositionally. And man, I tell you what, when a church hears God's word preached powerfully and expositionally, it just breathes all kinds of life into the church. And that's what happened at United Christian Church of Dubai. That's awesome, Aaron. And, and this was in what year? That pastor's still there, correct? Yeah, he came in 2005. 2005, okay. And he's still there. And um, that church then began to grow a heart for planting other churches in the city. The city had two and a half, three million people in it. It needs another church, much like Harvest. Our, our church is there uh, share a lot of the same core values, same theological commitments, uh, same ecclesiology, even church structure that Harvest has. And we wanted to plant other churches in the city. So then after eight years of being a part of UCCD, seeing it grow stronger, and meanwhile, the student ministry 
is growing and growing and growing. I went with two other men uh, as founding elders to plant Redeemer Church of Dubai on the other side of the city. And we planted in a hotel, in a hotel ballroom, because uh, we're restricted there as Christians. We can't own a building or property uh, for church building. So we had to meet in a hotel ballroom. We started with 250 people, which is an amazing start for a church plant. And uh, today there are a thousand people meeting in Redeemer Church of Dubai. So just tremendous growth. Again, people becoming Christians, students plugging in to uh, both of those local churches. And then both of those churches started planting churches as well. So Redeemer and UCCD planted a church in Sharjah, a neighboring emirate, planted a church on the East Coast in Fujairah, planted a church up in Ras al-Khaimah, uh, had a hand in the reform of churches in Abu Dhabi. Now there are three reformed evangelical churches in Abu Dhabi. So there's this constellation of what we would consider really healthy churches in the UAE now. And that's that's so encouraging to hear because so much of the church growth happening globally um, is theologically weak. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it is flat out uh, heretical. We see the prosperity gospel growing in a lot of places. And the Middle East, uh, especially here in the United States, is a, a place that's met with a lot of different mixed thoughts and feelings and emotions and interest. So to see churches growing in, yeah. in the Middle East and helping plant other churches in the Middle East is really just a huge praise God and exciting thing. So you uh, had started a campus ministry. That was going well, staying very tethered and in uh leadership roles within a church and help that church get healthier, then help plant a really healthy, thriving church. But in the midst of that, you start to start to feel led to a couple of things. One was, it seems like, to uh, plant a church, and in the midst of that, the campus ministry to hand that off to right. the uh, next generation, so to speak. So uh, tell us a little bit about what that looked like. Well, the, the, we had built up a staff team uh, for the campus ministry, that was largely made up of former students who had become Christians, whom we had discipled, and then brought into an intern program to train them to do campus ministry as staff workers, and then brought them on as full-time workers, uh, supported, fully supported workers. And so we had a staff team then by oh, the, the early teens, 2010, 2013, 2015, you know, uh, those kind of dates, a team that was about 12 people, um, and it was time to really let them lead. So we stepped out of leadership. We had a phased stepping out of the Americans who founded the student ministry, and we handed it off to those younger uh, leaders that we had raised up for the student ministry. And in fact, the leader of the student ministry now is a man named Nissen. He's from India. He was one of the first students to become a Christian through our ministry. And, and that, even hearing that, it always just um, enlivens me. I get goosebumps thinking like the first person that you saw uh, the Lord save over there. Oh, man. Uh, you know, God had an amazing plan for this guy, and he's now the one who's, um, you know, over the ministry and running the ministry. And that's just a beautiful it's, picture of God's grace and sovereign hand working there. So. Yeah, so incredibly gratifying to to see people become Christians and then become your ministry partners and people that you trust, people that you look to for wisdom even. So this 
This young man uh, is now a fellow elder in the church that I'm the pastor of. And I look to him for wisdom. He's, he's wise beyond his years. So praise God that he allows us to do these kinds of things, to share the gospel and see people grow in the gospel to the point that they link arms with us and uh, continue to do his work. That's a beautiful picture of, of really biblical discipleship, all the way from seeing a person trust the Lord to seeing them grow in maturity to the point that they are um, investing in others and raising up other people who are going to continue doing ministry. It's a beautiful picture of biblical multiplication, and just it's yeah. thrilling to hear that. It, it enlivens me to just get to see that and get to uh, feel that when I'm over there. Now, so two and a half years ago, is that correct? That's when you yeah. started Covenant Hope Church. Tell right. us a little bit about the church. Well, there were there were two churches in in Dubai, um, in the Emirate, that were Reformed Evangelical churches, much like Harvest again. Uh, but the city has three million people in it. I mean, it, and there's more people that would that would try coming to church. And so I went to the elders of that second church that we planted, Redeemer, and said, I'd like for you all to send me out. And so we prayed as elders, and they affirmed that. And uh, I was then phasing, stepping out of the student ministry and came back to the U.S. and did a seven-month sabbatical, did a pastoral internship in a church here in the U.S. that was really helpful for me, uh, instructive, and then went back in 2017 and we, those two churches, United Christian Church of Dubai and Redeemer, were gracious and sent people, encouraged people to go with us to plant the church. So 65 people uh, from some from each of those churches came together and we planted, covenanted together as Covenant Hope Church in uh, first weekend in April in 2017. And we began meeting right geographically in between those two sending churches in the city. Yeah, some some things that um, listeners might not uh, be familiar with. In Muslim countries, the weekend is typically Friday and Saturday because Friday is the sort of the worship day, correct? Right, it's the Muslim holy day. That's the that's the main day. Of course, Muslims are supposed to go to the mosque five times a day to pray. You can pray at home. Um, it's not as much merit credited to you if you pray at home, but so... Friday prayers, noon prayers in the mosques are big day. So yes, uh, in in Muslim countries, typically Friday is a day off. So most churches meet on Friday as we well. We meet on Fridays because uh, people, if they're going to be off of work one day a week, it's going to be a Friday. So we gather on Fridays, um, and yeah, we um, then we have the next day off for the weekend. <laughs> Um, to gather together and fellowship with one another. We, uh, we were gathering initially in uh, the auditorium of a school. Uh, then some government regulations prevented that from continuing, so we moved into the basement of a house. We were cramped there because we were growing. Um, and then eventually we made it into a, a hotel ballroom, and then some other regulations came into effect, and, and we've been forced into a, a church building. But the Lord has been kind and gracious to us. And when you talk church building, you know, you said, you said we've been <laughs> yeah. forced into church building. People that are probably thinking, good. <laughs> hey, that sounds good. Wouldn't you want to be forced into church building? But in the Emirates, they have one sort of compound 
right. where there's several different meeting uh, spaces. And on Friday, how many churches meet in that compound? There's and- 20, 25 churches meeting in that evangelical church building. And then right next to the evangelical church building, there's building, building, building on this plot of land. Um, it's the church compound. So there's a Roman Catholic church. There's a Syrian Orthodox church. There's an Egyptian Coptic church. Um, and yeah, we all share a common parking lot. People are coming and going. It's kind of crazy, kind of bedlam. Yeah. Um, I I remember when I was, um, there about a year ago while the service of coming to hope was going on, there was a Filipino service going on. And I think maybe a Ethiopian service going on and they were, uh, holding service in their languages. And so there's people from all over the world there. But tell us a little bit about the, the demographic of Covenant Hope. I know Covenant Hope is an English-speaking church, but it's uh, very diverse. Yeah, we're, we are about 100 members right now, and we're from 15 different countries. Uh, mostly Indians and Fil- Filipinos and Indians make up the largest percentage of our church. But then, you know, you can tick it off down the, down the, the numbers there. We, we have Nigerians, Ugandans, uh, Germans, British, Singaporeans. Uh, yeah, so we're very diverse. And, you know, that's, a, that's a, what a, one wonderful gift that international churches oftentimes get to experience together it can be difficult and challenging to to be a church with lots of different cultures involved because you're not used to what other people uh, want or expect in a church uh, experience. But the wonderful thing is that we're forced to love one another across our differences. And the experience of having discipling relationships, there's, a, there's discipling relationships that are intergenerational and, and cro- international in our church. So, for example, there's an American man who is in his 60s and he's meeting with a Singaporean young man who's 30 and they're discipling one another. Or there's a Filipino young woman who's 25 and she's meeting with an Indian woman who's 35. And that's just and and when we go to the food court, maybe in a local mall and sit together We've had people come up to us and ask us, who are you? Why are you all sitting together, but you're all different from one another? And wow, what an amazing opportunity to talk about Christ and the unifying effect of following Jesus. Amen. Because even in a a city, one of the most diverse cities in the world, Dubai, um, people still have a tendency to stay with those that are from their culture, from their country. So to see a church that expresses uh, the body of Christ across cultural lines is a, a beautiful thing. And so many people there haven't, haven't seen that. Even in your elders, you have a, a guy from Scotland, a guy from, uh, from India. So I know it's, yeah. it's just a very culturally diverse church. Well, um, tell us a little bit about um, what are some of the great joys of living and serving in Dubai, and then maybe what are some of the challenges? Mm. I think that one of the challenges has been to realize the cost of living apart from your family. My, my parents, you know, when we decided to go 
to the Middle East and live there. We had no idea we were going to stay for 17 years, but the ministry has been so rich, and we've just continued to re-up our commitment to stay there. We didn't want to leave. and But I have realized as I've gotten older that, yeah, it costs my family something, our parents and our extended family back in the United States. And I don't I think it was a cost that's worthwhile for the sake of the gospel going forward, but I certainly don't want to minimize the cost. And that's something I've recognized uh, in uh, of late. I think another hard thing is just some of the wear and tear of living cross-culturally. It can, it can be challenging to constantly be be trying to figure out how you should interact with people from different cultures and particularly true in Dubai when it's so diverse. So that can make you, that can really make you weary. And you talked about people oftentimes, even if they're they're the, the culture is diverse, they will cling to or cluster up with people from their own nationality. And some of that's natural, of course, because it's just easier. It's easier to communicate and relate to people that, share a common culture with you. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But um, communicating, fellowshipping, sharing the gospel together, being a peop- the people of God cross-culturally uh, is worth it. It's worth the wear and tear. It's worth the embarrassment mm-hmm. when you do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. Uh, in your interaction with a, a person from another culture. And you have to be, it really humbles you. Uh, it teaches you to be able to laugh at yourself. And, but those are really wonderful qualities to, to gain as well. So those are some of the hard things. I think the joys, and it, you know, it's kind of built into what I just said, I think the joys are the privilege of seeing the gospel go forth in the world and knowing that I have, I have friends now in the Lord who are in so many different countries. And I know one day we're going we're gonna to stand before the throne together. Um, I'll get to sing, as you will, as we all will, in that multinational, multi-ethnic choir mm. that sings before the Lord and fellowships with Him and with one another forever and ever and ever. Um, and we'll get to recount the stories of how God worked. So that is, that's just a privilege beyond compare in a lot of ways. I think it also one of the benefits, to be honest, is, is my children, I think, learned to love the world and love people of the world and learned how to share the gospel. I think it had a big part in them at different points along the way, them giving their lives to Christ. Yeah, that's a uh, beautiful picture. And when I, when I was at your church, um, there, it's a beautiful picture of Revelation. You know, when we think Revelation seven nine, and every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather. We get a little snapshot of it there with people from all over the world that have come to this country where uh, it's predominantly uh, Muslim, but yet you're seeing there in the midst of it uh, a beacon of light and people worshiping the Lord. Well, uh, Brian, as, as we near the end of our time, can you just give us a couple ways that uh, we as a church um, as someone who we, we love and we get the joy of co-laboring with and partnering with. And we're, we're just so thankful you bless us by allowing us to get to be a part in some small way of, of what you're doing and cheering for you and loving you and praying for you. But uh, how can we be praying for you? Well, you can continue to pray that the gospel bears fruit around the world. And I would encourage 
um, the members of Harvest uh, that to not just when you when you see news on on the web or on your phone or on your television or on a newspaper to not just think of politics not just think of uh, those kinds of international concerns that the world thinks of don't just think about those things think about how the gospel is at work and i would encourage you to pray pray for those let those let those uh, those reminders of other countries be reminders to pray for for people because we have great privileges privileged freedoms of of religion here in the west particularly in america it's not true around the world there are people that are suffering for their faith in christ right now and we need to pray for them and we need to go to them some some of us need to continue to go uh, and take the gospel to the world so pray for pray for the gospel to go out i guess the other thing uh, I would ask you to pray for is pray for uh, particularly Muslims and particularly Hindus to to give their lives to Christ. Uh, India is, uh, you know, as I mentioned, predominantly Hindu. Very small, single digit would claim to single digits would uh, percentages would claim to be Christians. There's, I think, thirty percent of India is Muslim as well. So. Pray that the gospel message would penetrate the hearts of Muslims and Hindus and that they would turn to Christ in faith no matter what the cost. And often the cost is great. Amen. Brian, really thank you for joining us. And uh, really, even in you lift up your prayer, they're all outward focused on the gospel going forth. And in Harvest, I would encourage you, uh, Paul prayed for those laborers who are doing well and who are in tough places and facing challenges to continue to do well. So as a church, uh, let's continue to lift up Covenant Hope Church in Dubai. Let's lift up the Parks family. Uh, Let's lift up Carson Merkel, who's working and serving there with him. And let's pray that God would continue to allow that to be a beacon of light there in the Middle East. Mm -hmm.